Hello. Here we go. Hey. Hey, Benjamin. How's it going, Neil? Look at you with your dark, gloomy, gothic background. There's actually... You can't see them. I have to work on this, but there's actually Christmas lights there. Supposed okay. to be, <laughs> Not quite so gloomy. Supposed to be the night sky, but it does look kind of bat cavey. How's your... Uh, well, I mean, you have the classic Zoom background. That's right. That's popularized by the COVID-19 crisis. And this is all real. It's not like a green screen. It's actually no. books. Get, oh, individually purchased? Individually. Yeah, I can hold some up there. They're in my, oh, oh, queer theory. Oh, wow. I'm writing okay. a chapter on queer theory right now from my new book. Writing or reading? Well, I just, I reread all of my queer theory books and read a new one. Hmm. And then I'm writing a chapter on queer theory. So in in the support? Of a, <laughs> not quite. No. <laughs> No, um, I'm working on a book with Pat Sawyer. Um, my next project is a book on critical social theories. So we're going to go through critical race theory, queer theory, and those are the two major ones. But then just like the overall framework, it'll be actually it's turning out to be similar to cynical theories. It's you know um, Jim and Helen's book, um, mm -hmm. but it'll be for a Christian audience. So trying to understand. You know how would how should Christians look at these social theories and think about them? Anyway, mm -hmm. are we starting? And, Am I? I'm being recorded, right? So you're you're going. So let's just go. <laughs> <laughs> let's just go. Okay. Wait, erase all that. Erase all that. No, it's fine. <laughs> is this is that project under wraps? Then you don't want to. Oh no no no, it's fine. No, I, I I'm kidding. Because um, I am curious about the relationship between progressivism and uh, American Christianity. Sure. And yeah, by talk progressivism, I mean like critical theory informed mm -hmm. progressive social justice activism critical you can put it that in there somewhere if i didn't yeah. already but yeah no one knows what to call it right so i like one of the things i like the first section that our book currently it's a draft form but it's called what's in a name and i talk about how everyone's tried to name this thing you know people called it wokeness well that's no that's you're appropriating African-American vernacular. Okay, we'll call it critical social justice. Well, no one uses that term. That's just D'Angelo's term. Okay, we'll call it critical race theory. Well, that's, that's just a legal discipline. And so, and, uh, you know, Wesley Yang, and people have been talking about this thing for five, ten years. You know, Wesley yeah. Yang calls it successor ideology. David French called it intersectionality a few years ago. Um, so I, we, we go through word, you know, it's what's important is not the, the name, the label you use, it's the ideas behind it. And yeah. we talked about what are the core ideas regardless of how you label them, and then why are those ideas um, ultimately corrosive to both society at large and the Christian faith in particular? Uh, okay, but it seems like they, on a rhetorical level, seem compatible to Christianity because it is about centering and lifting up the marginalized, right? Well, that's, that's the question. So um, I, I would say that more um, liberal mainline sorts of Christians would, would say, yeah, Christianity is all about lifting up the marginal and liberating the oppressed. And um, what I would just say is that historically, while that's been one of the one of the many applications of Christianity, so Christians have always been committed to acts of justice and mercy, have been committed to creating just societies. Uh, that's one of the applications of a Christian, the Christian religion. Um, mm -hmm. It's only one. And and so you can't equate Christianity with liberating the oppressed. There are there are 
Christian traditions, more modern ones that do that, things like liberation theology, the social gospel tend to just equate the two. Christianity is all about just social reform. Um, but traditionally, historically, Christianity is, when you look at the early creeds of the church, it's been about a message of Jesus' salvation for people who need, who need it, who needs, who are, who are, you know, under God's judgment to be saved from sin. That's, that's the core message you get. You go back to them talking about yeah. the 1800, I'm talking about, go back to the 300 AD, go back to the writings of, you know, the New Testament gospel authors themselves. And they, of course, they did say, care for the poor, love the widow and orphan, true religion. You know, the Apostle James says, true religion is to care for um, the, the widow and orphan and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Uh, but that's just, again, that's one part, that's one aspect of Christian morality. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is that um, if you elevate that aspect above the other aspects and you also redefine words like justice and oppression, then you end up with a, um, a view of morality that actually conflicts with traditional Christian teaching. And so, yeah, in the book, Hmm. we'll go through all of that and explain how modern critical theorists have redefined words like social justice, which was actually a a term coined by a Catholic priest in the 19th century. Um, But they've redefined that word. They've redefined the word justice. They've redefined the word oppression. They've redefined the word marginalization and power and all these different things and in ways that Christians, that's why I think it's why these ideas have gotten such cachet among even evangelical Christians, because they're speaking in some sense um, Mm -hmm. in terms that we immediately gravitate towards. Christians are like, oh, of course I care about the marginalized. I care about the oppressed. Jesus himself was described as oppressed and afflicted, right? A man of sorrow is familiar with suffering. And so we hear those words and we're like, oh yeah, I totally, I I can get behind these ideas. and then add to that the fact that evangelicals, uh, you know, in the last, say, 50, 100 years have been behind, uh, I think, the culture in terms of, uh, you know, properly understanding things like race and racism. I think we feel a lot of shame and say, yeah, you're right. We, we dropped the ball in a major way in terms of dealing with Jim Crow and discrimination. Uh, and so then to catch up, we're like, yeah, we'll totally onboard all these ideas. And I'm thinking, whoa, slow down. <laughs> there's, there's a, you know, the, the pendulum can swing the, 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 the too far the other direction. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we'll talk about all that stuff. We can talk about it now if you want to. This is your channel, Rand. You well, just tell I'm me what you want to. Fascinated by it. And it also dovetail, it dovetails with what we're nominally here to speak about, which is your book, <laughs> Why Believe. Um, so I think it's all of a piece, right? Because you can't have the theory without the practice. Yeah. Or the praxis, as the theorists would yeah. say. Um, are you one pervasive, and it's kind of crusty now. John McWhorter's book came out mm-hmm. almost a year ago, I think, about woke religion or something like that. But it's mm-hmm. been a metaphor since I got into this conversation about talking about the religious aspects of social justice ideology. When right. I was exposed to it at the Evergreen State College, it had very explicit and very cringy religious overtones, like mm-hmm. where they tried to start doing worship services, but they were kind of yeah. worshiping black bodies. It was really weird. Yeah. But I saw, and my first statement of it was to the effect that it's like a broken religion or it's it it takes some parts of christianity and Mm -hmm. leaves other parts but it's it's kind of very christian it's puritanical it's evangelical there's something in its dna maybe rhetorical or cultural that is very christian Mm -hmm. do you guys explore that and how it's kind of a descendant of or a mutation of uh 
older Christian movements or like something particularly American? Yeah, I'm actually looking up. So uh, Pat, my collaborator, Dr. Pat Sawyer and I have written a number of articles. Um, and one of them was published last year, I think, for the American Conservative. I'm pulling it up right now so I can actually quote from it. Because the title was um, something like, you know, in the face of social justice, the gospel is still good news. Um, and we, we actually, in that piece, we talk about, yeah, sorry, the, the title is, if you want to look it up, the American Conservative published it. It's called Facing Woke Religion, the Gospel is Still Good News. And in that article, we talk about how one way to think about, again, wokeness or critical social justice, whatever you want to call these ideas. Again, we focus on the yeah. ideas yeah. Um, and we outline what they are. But one of the ways to think about it is that it is a an alternate view of our fundamental problem as human beings, which Christianity would say is sin. Like we are, We have violated God's moral law. We have all failed to live like we ought to live. But critical social justice would say there's the, actually the real problem that we all face fundamentally is oppression of various kinds. And they define that as ruling groups, ruling classes, whether it's whites, men, heterosexuals, the physically abled Christians. The yeah. problem is ruling classes have imposed their values on us. And that is oppression. They've imposed the gender binary. They've imposed heteronormativity. They've imposed white supremacy. They impose their values on us, and it's taken for granted as natural and normal. And, and so all of us, to, varying, to the degree that we are minoritized, whether we're people of color or we're women or we're LGBTQ people, uh, we've all been oppressed through those narratives about the gender binary or about white supremacy or about masculinity. And anyway, so uh, that's, that's the problem. And then for Christianity, th there's a solution to the problem. And Christianity says, well, the solution is redemption. You can't fix yourself. None of us can. We can try really hard to live a good life and to, to be good people, okay. and maybe we should, but ultimately it's not enough uh, because we, you know, in trying to fix yourself, um, you just, it's, it's like, you know, when you're covered in mud, like you can kind of like try to wipe your hands off, but just get more and more muddy, right? You just spread the mud. And then, and so the point is Christianity has always been a religion that, that says we need someone to come outside from outside to rescue us. Well, within critical social justice, the solution if the problem is oppression, the solution is activism. You, you you can either, if you're a privileged person or to the degree that you are, you want to divest yourself of your privilege. You want to and stand in solidarity with oppressed people. And yeah. if you're an oppressed person, then you want to dismant, work to dismantle these hegemonic systems and structures that are producing the social binary of oppressors and oppressed. And then the ultimate goal for Christians is, again, a new creation, that one day uh, Jesus will return to renew all things, to make things right, uh, to administer justice. And that's the, the, and the yeah. end utopia, the end, you know, the coming of Christ. That's the goal. But Christ critical theory offers an, an alternate goal, which is equity. You're going to reach this utopia where there's no more hegemonic power, no more oppression. We're all living in a state of power sharing and, and diversity and social justice and inclusion. Um, but the point is, when you frame it that way, it's offering you a, a, a different meta narrative, different mm -hmm. overarching story of reality. And, yeah. and it's, I love quoting, um, I, don't, I have it behind me somewhere, but uh, Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay in their book, Cynical Theory, which I really enjoy, uh, they actually have a great paragraph. It's, I just I love quoting it. But it talks about how we now have sort of um, a gospel of social justice. And they people treat these texts like their scripture. 
And then they go through all of these ideas like all white people are racist, all men are sexist, and we all need to decolonize. Our minds are colonized by whiteness. We have to be freed from this, uh, the hegemonic power of these narratives. And then they say, does this sound like a meta narrative? That's because it is. And that's because I'm like, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. We have two alternate ways of understanding reality, a Christian one and a critical social justice one. And they, they really are functioning like religion. And then the last thing I'll say is just that, in the same article we talk about that well why is it so compelling because you yeah. look at people that are super woke and you've seen it you saw it in, at evergreen right it's cringy it's a little scary it's like a, i'm sure that you know christians can sound scary and cult-like to non-christians i get that uh, yeah, yeah. but in the same way well the sort of radical left sounds cult-like and scary to say liberals and so we ask well how do you get sucked into that how do you not just see this is like a cult and the answer is that um, Christi- Christians say, ultimately, all of us, all of us, whether you're religious or not religious, you're seeking what's called justification, which for Christianity means a declaration that you're, you're okay, you're righteous, you're on the right side, you've been forgiven, you're, you're, you're good. So all of us are seeking that. Okay. And the natural human heart says, how do you get justified? How do you feel like you're okay, you're a good person, you're righteous, and you do it. All of us do it different ways, but one of the ways you can do it, you can do it by living traditional, according to traditional morality. I'm going to go to church and be a good person. I'm going to get religious. You can do it by, um, you know, working for uh, be a philanthropist. What's that? Good deeds. Good deeds. Yeah, you can do good works and you can feel justified. I, I, I know I'm righteous. I know I'm good because you can do it by by demonizing other people. Well, those, I'm not like those people. I and mean, Jesus tells yeah. a parable about this, how the tax collector looks down on those nasty, sorry, the Pharisee looks down on that nasty tax collector. I'm so good, you're so awful. Um, but, the, but we're saying that critical social justice does that by saying you can cleanse yourself. If you, you can confess your privilege, you can, you can flagellate yourself. You can say, I, I repent of my whiteness. I repent of my masculinity. You can sit inside. And all of those acts of penitence, we point out, those are the same, that same, you say, why do people do that? It's the same underlying human desires that led, you know, medieval peasants to wear hair shirts and to flagellate themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's in, ingrained, I'm not, we're not disparaging it. We're saying, yeah, that's completely normal. Why? Because I have that too. I, I desire to feel good and righteous. The difference is that Christianity, I think, and this is, I could even cite religious scholars saying, it's unique in that it says you can't do that for yourself. You can't wipe out that damned spot. You can't do it. You need to just throw yourself on the mercy of God. And so, but but the point is, because we're all seeking that, deep in our hearts, there's this the void, this need to feel righteous. And you're, if you don't fill it with say, trusting in Jesus to say, I'm, I can be clean, not because I am clean, but because he's forgiven me. You can't do that. You're going to find it somewhere else, whether it's working really hard, being really woke, being really conservative. I don't know. There's different ways to feel good about yourself, but, Christ, but we're all trying to fill that need. And so this is just one very, but a very popular way to do that. Yeah. There's been some discourse re- recently, and I haven't actually mapped where it 
came from, but it sounds like a cynical tool to uh, maintain a certain power structure. But th there's this fear mongering or worry warting over Christian nationalism, yeah. as if Christian nationalism is is a unified fascistic <laughs> threat, which is one problem I have with it. Because if you start to do any research into Christianity, you see that there's a bunch of people who disagree with each other. It's not like <laughs> yeah. one fascist organization. Right. Yeah. But secondly, um, it's kind of odd that that is being used to stir up people's anxiety um, when this woke stuff has kind of become the state religion in and of mm. itself. And I wonder if wokeness, because it's modern or there's something that's not religious in its wording, that it is more adaptable to a so-called secular state. Um, I would and, say it's not yeah. overtly, it still uses secular language even though i would argue that like you said you the symbols and the and the the emotions it evokes are yeah. very religious right yeah. but it's so it's so framed in terms of sociology and science social science and mm -hmm. you're not talking about you know angels and demons you're not ta talking it's, about you're talking about system of privilege <laughs> it's academicized somehow. it's right yeah so they've yeah. managed to secularize uh, you know this this very manichaean like this very good and evil right and wrong angels yeah, yeah, and demons yeah. but they've been managed to secularize all that it's actually an interesting parallel if you've ever read c.s lewis's book that hideous strength it's a really you should read it if you haven't read it um it's basically he was a christian uh oxford professor he wrote a, a trilogy but the last book called called, called that hideous strength and he talks about how these scientists have managed have managed to cloak essentially these this religion in scientific beliefs and they're selling it to the public anyway it's very mm -hmm. it's very uh, you know prescient um but i do think that the christian nationalism um actually have read several books on it many of them written by professing christians about the danger of the christian nationalist right okay. i do think um that there are uh based on surveys there are professing christians who have i think just obviously wrong ideas about the role of the United States and um, maybe even one thing that really stands out is something like two thirds of professing Christians believe that the Constitution is divinely inspired. Oh. And if you know about Christian theology, it's like a big no, no. <laughs> the Bible and from in all of history, the Bible is God's unique revelation to I mean, all Catholics, all Protestants, Orthodox would say, no, the Bible is unique in that way. Um, mm. Uh, but but the, so so American Christians, a large fraction of them would would I don't know what do they mean by that? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they just mean it's really a good document. <laughs> I hope. But that's a start, that's a troubling statistic. Oh, um, why is it troubling though? Isn't that kind of good? In a way, is that not a good fascia to to connect a country to have such a stance towards that founding document? No, right. So so. From a from a secular perspective, ironically, you could just say, well, they really admire and revere their founding documents, which are frankly pretty good, right? The, I think the difference as a Christian, I would say, but okay. we don't we don't hold the Bible as pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's a different category. Okay. It'd be like, it'd okay. be like here's, a, here's an analogy. If I were like, I worship God as a Christian, you're like, yeah, obviously. If I were like, I worship my wife, you're like, isn't that healthy? And, I, and no, 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 not not in a Christian sense. You would not want to say you worship your wife. You would love your wife. You would sacrifice anything for her, but you wouldn't worship her. That would be, mm -hmm. you're making, you're mixing religious categories here. So in the same way, um, I think that that way inappropriate 
uh, reverence for the, the Constitution, which is just it's a good document. I I like the Constitution, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna treat it like it's on par with what God has said. Okay. And also the thing is we've we've amended the Constitution, we've changed it from recognizing well this is needs to get fixed, and also I think that attitude can blind us to legitimate problems the nation has had. We're not a perfect nation. And I think, I think to, the, to playing the devil's advocate, I'm steel manning this argument from the progressives. Um, you can worry that if you really imbibe this idea that America's God's chosen nation, we're the redeemed people of the, which is again, biblically not true. Um, but if you embrace that idea, then basically it's like the U S can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. has done plenty of wrong, like all, like every nation. We're, no, we're just, yeah. just one nation among many, and so we have to have the humility to say this nation's not perfect. We're not God's chosen nation, and so we have to be able to say, yeah, this this is actually evil what we did and what we're, do- what we're doing right now. Um, but that that said, um, if you look at scholarship and these popular, they're popular works written by scholars like uh, Andrew Whitehead and like Samuel Perry or um, uh, Robert Jones. He wrote. Uh, um, what did he write? He wrote the first. He wrote "Taking America Back for God." Robert Jones wrote something like, "Was it White Too Long?" I think they've all written. Anthea Butler wrote "White Evangelical Racism." I've read a number of these books that are critiquing Christian national or white Christian nationalism. Um, mm. what, what does concern me is that they so they're clearly. I'm, I'm granting them there. There is this unhealthy conflation of America and God. Like or American Christianity, like to be American is to be Christian, to be Christian is to be American. Again, which globally is not true. There, are more, I think that you know there are more Christians living in Africa than there are in the whole U.S. Or, and way, way more than that. But it's like there's more than that. It's, it's crazy. Like there are more Presbyterians living in I think Ghana than in Scotland, which is sort of like the heartland of Presbyterian. The point is, we have global Christianity is way bigger than the U.S. Um, so to conflate the two is very obviously very just wrong. Uh, historically and, and factually, but but um, so I'm granting that there's that there's a real thing there. It's a phenomenon. But the problem is when they try to measure it, uh, like Whitehead and Perry's book will ask questions like, you know, should the government support Christian values? And now that's a very ambiguous question because well, what what are some Christian values? Caring for the poor, <laughs> not murdering your neighbor, uh, private yeah. property, not stealing. So. Yeah, and the government should. Everybody, everybody thinks the government should support those Christian values. I think. I think I, I've never talked to like a secular person who's like, "Yeah, totally, murder is a Judeo-Christian norm. We should get rid of that, that murder thing." The point is that when they try to ask, well, whatever, to gauge how many people out there are Christian nationalists, they'll often use these really ambiguous questions that have all these false positives. So the problem becomes there is a problem. But it becomes far bigger and overblown compared okay. to what it actually yeah. is in, in as far and, and in my personal life, like I have met an impersonal people that I actually know. I have met zero people that could even be remotely considered Christian nationalists who have any sense that they would actually the evangelicals I know are, are some of the most emphatic that they do not want a state church or they don't because the two are different. It's part of actually evangelical distinctives is that we and I'm an evangelical. But we take very seriously the idea that um, that Christianity is something that is uh, primarily internal. You can't make someone a Christian by just calling them a Christian or, or doing things to them and having certain laws. Their heart has to change. And so we, we want to make a very clear distinction between, well, you know, 
I grew up in a Christian nation, therefore I'm a Christian, or I grew up in America, therefore I'm a Christian. And then frankly, actually, before I was a, actually a Christian, I thought of myself that way. I said, yeah, you know, I believe in God. I, I live in the US. I must be a Christian. Jesus seems pretty cool to me. I must be a yeah. Christian. And what I realized, no, it's actually to be a Christian means something about how you, how you relate to Jesus. <laughs> That's kind of important. So I, in general, the evangelicals I know are, are emphatic that no, 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 we don't want to impose not values, which I think should be imposed by government, like don't murder, but we don't yeah. want to say everyone has to professedly be a Christian in order to be a citizen, because that can, that would actually create a lot of hypocrisy. <laughs> we don't really want that. Jesus was very opposed to that kind of hypocrisy. Anyway, okay. so I just think it's, it's, it is overblown as a threat. And I, like you said, in terms of what I see being validated by the state, it's not Christian nationalism. It is wokeness. The woke have all of the institutional power in this country right now. The mm-hmm. woke are the ones teaching public teaching the schools and in the government yes. and the military. So, and I always, or like example I use, this is a silly one. You know, libs of TikTok shows these insane videos of teachers just outright saying, I'm here to like teach my preschool class about sexuality and in the Black Lives Matter movement and all this just super woke stuff. And they're just over there, they're volunteering that information. Like, yeah, this is my curriculum for this yeah. year. And I, I just have to ask, where is the like conservatives of TikTok? Where's the parallel? If, if the main problem in the US right now, the threat is Christian nationalism. Okay, well, where are the conservatives or the, or the racists being like, my curriculum this year is I'm gonna teach the kids about Hitler and, I, and I'm gonna teach them about how slavery was awesome. And But there's none of that. And if you were to see that, that guy would be fired like in a snap. Yeah. I, I'm assuming there have been cases where they've caught, you know, actual neo-Nazis like, and they, they're fired, the school apologizes. So I have, no, I'm not, maybe they're out there. I don't know if there's a conservative of TikTok Twitter handle, but um, I just find that in my day-to-day Face life symmetry. living in North Korea, yeah, there's not a symmetry there. I don't, I don't walk into a public school and think, I bet you they're teaching kids, you know, uh, neo-Nazism. I do walk, walk in there and say, I wonder if they're teaching kids about gender ideology. Mm-hmm. In the closing chapter of Cynical Theories by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay, and I've spoken with them both quite regularly. So it's not a diss on them, but they propose a liberal solution Mm. or they propose what they perceive of as a middle way based on liberal values of, I guess, liberty and open argument and debate. And if that is the center and on the progressive left, you have this uh, evangelical fundamental ist um faith that's based on very intense theories that you detailed about oppression and mm-hmm. um disrupting and dismantling hierarchies while gaining more power at the same time and then on the right or the far right to whatever degree there's a christian fundamentalism that expects americans to be christian and american values to be christian and and I, I'm looking at a lot of the arguments on the right, and they make sense up to a certain point. And that point where I have to back away is imposition. Mm-hmm. And I like what you were saying about what you were saying about evangelicals not wanting to impose Christianity because that is a contradiction and it doesn't mm-hmm. actually work that way. But in the apologetics of Christianity, there's still very strong claims about being 
the end all be all of religion, mm-hmm. right? So there is very strong claims yeah. that that you detail and, and you argue and there's a long tradition of arguing for Christianity as mm-hmm. the way, the truth, and the life, capital right. T yeah. on all those does. Um so it could be construed or misconstrued as not fascistic, that's an overused term, but Im- imposing Sure. Values. Coercing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Coercive. Coercion. The problem Mm -hmm. with liberalism, the problem with the middle way is that it's always going to be open to some sort of coercive force, Mm -hmm. whether it's repressive tolerance or religious intolerance. Right. How how does Christianity fit within a liberal world order? And by that, I mean more than one religion can work together, more one interpretation can work together. Sure. So So what I would say is that so... One of the criticisms I had actually of, um, I, I really like Cynical Theories as a book, but I did a review of it for an evangelical um, web or journal. And one of the critiques I had was that they proposed this alternative liberal vision of, you know, social order. And I point out that, and they, in their own words, their accounting of liberalism, it's a, um, it's a methodology. It's how you resolve conflict. Conflicts, yeah. You know, via reason, via evidence, via compromise. That is, that's basically what liberalism is, is a set of rules for how you resolve conflicts. And one of my arguments was that can't beat wokeness. And why? Because wokeness is a narrative. It's a story. Yeah. And a stories are always more interesting than like, a phone book, you know. I would. I think interesting yeah. is an un, uh, dreadful underestimation yes. of the power of stories and the necessity of stories. Exactly, and Just so you're trying to fight a a really, you know, a story has good and evil, and a hero and a villain, and the right side and the wrong side, and this clash of. And critical theory is a story. It's a meta narrative. I agree with them, but you're trying to fight it by offering procedural liberalism, which is basically a set of tools. It's like you're trying to fight a really bad pulp fiction novel, as bad as it is, but it's, you know, full of gore and violence and it's, you know, you can't put it down. Try to fight that with a phone book, a list of rule, like a, you know, Robert's Rules of Order for like motions and seconding and committees. It's not, and I'm like, it's not just, I wish it would work. It's not going to work. The way to oppose a story is with a better story. And I'm a Christian, a true story and so I'm saying Christianity offers a um, a better narrative that still has the compul- the com- it, it, not compelling in the coercion sense, but it, it tugs at our hearts, not just mm-hmm. our brain. It does, and it does both. I argue, and so I do say that um, I think I, I want to be careful here because there's a spectrum. Obviously, evangelicals, Christians are a broad tradition, have a lot of yeah. views of well, are, governmental role. Are yeah. you you consider yourself evangelical then? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, to be to be frank, historically, I'd be considered a fundamentalist, not in the modern sense, which basically yeah, just yeah, means yeah, yeah. a stupid yeah. person. <laughs> if you look at original what person, the yeah. original fundamentalists said, they're like, you just got to believe what Christians have believed since like the <laughs> the dawn of Christianity. Uh, and so I'd affirm things like that. Basically, my theology is very similar to what you'd find in like Martin Luther, John Calvin, the reformers, you know, going back hundreds, even thousands of years, St. Augustine. Okay. Um, and I'd say today, if you believe those things, you'd be called a fundamentalist. And I don't mind the term. I'm like, look, I just I, I use that as derogatory. Yeah, right, yeah, I know, I get it. But my dad always says you can't say that because what does that mean? Like you believe in the Bible, that's all that it means. I'm that's like, right. Yeah, yeah, but so there's, a, a, there's a funny article by a philosopher named Alvin Plantinga, who's a famous evangelical philosopher, who says basically, um, I, can I say this on your channel? But he is in his paper. He says that calling someone a fundamentalist is like calling him a some bitch. 
Like it's a, it's a, just a, it's a pejorative. It doesn't mean anything. It's just like, I don't mm. like that person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 